Kids, you are dismissed to your classes. You can head on out. Hope you have a great time. Hope you learn a lot. Enjoy one another. It's good. It's the only time running is allowed in the worship center. And you're running out of here. Hey, good to see you again. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Today we are continuing our series in the book of Proverbs. Um, and such a, a rich a full book with so many topics, and I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. I will admit this morning, I am feeling a bit thin. You never feel just thin emotionally, attacked a little bit, just like, you know, the Bible says when, he is, when we are weak, he is strong, and yet when you're weak, you don't really feel like that, you just feel weak. <laughs> so if a couple of you would just pray during the service, I know there's some prayer warriors in this room, just pray that God's word would permeate and have its way this morning, that would be great. Um, today, um, we are talking about the primary topic in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book that's all about wisdom. We talked about that last week. And wisdom is practical theology for a day-to-day godly life in a complicated world. I love how the scriptures acknowledge that life in this world is tough that it's not just a straight line between two points. The scriptures are always very authentic and real about the struggles and difficulties that we will face as fallen people in this fallen place. And yet there's hope because God's spirit helps us along. Wisdom is about how to navigate choices when things aren't easy, when people are involved and emotions are involved, and even when your own feelings might get in the way. Do your feelings ever get in the way of you pursuing wisdom? Mine do quite often. Today we're going to talk about the number one subject addressed in the book of Proverbs, wisdom for our words. And I want to focus our conversation today with three questions. There are actually three questions we've asked before, but we'll answer them a bit differently this morning. Why do our words matter? What qualities should mark our words? And how can our words be transformed? Let's get right to it. Why do our words matter? Before we get to Proverbs, I want to back up and just consider the role of words in the entire Bible. Because it's all throughout the scriptures. I can do a whole message just on like the place and power of words throughout scripture. But for today, I'll just do a brief overview. Let's start in the very beginning, the book of Genesis. God creates all of the known universe by the power of his words. Let there be light, he says. Let there be land. Let there be stars and fish and plants and animals. And it was so, we read. God speaks and creation happens. Then we get to the New Testament and in the Gospels we discover that most of Jesus' miracles happened through his words, right? Aside from a couple incidents where there's like spit and mud and like rubbing saliva mud on people's faces. Aside from that, Jesus mostly speaks. He speaks and the lame walk. He speaks and the storms stop. He speaks and lepers are healed. He even uses words to drive out demons, multiply food and call Lazarus out of the grave. And my point is this, time and time again, The Bible tells us words are a powerful thing. 
They're powerful when they come from the creator, and they're also powerful when they come from his image bearers. That's you and me. Listen to this verse from Proverbs 18.21. This is probably a verse that should just be put on our mirrors for every morning. This is a great memory verse. It's an easy one. You can memorize it this morning. Proverbs 18.21. The tongue has the power of life and death. You see, it's not just that our words have impact. We all know that words matter, right? We all know the whole sticks and stones thing is rubbish. We know that. We know that words can help or hurt. We know that words can encourage or frustrate. We know our words have impact, but here's what we often miss, how great that impact can actually be. We know our words are powerful. We just often forget how powerful. This is from James, the book of James in the New Testament. He communicates This way, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue, our words, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Friends, James is telling us that our words are far more powerful than we tend to believe. We've all seen this, haven't we? Maybe some in this room have experienced it personally. Just with words, a reputation is ruined, or trust is severed, or self-esteem is devastated simply by misuse of the tongue. In fact, if I asked you right now, I'm guessing that most everyone in this room would have a story of hurtful words spoken to you. Most of you could tell me a story about a friend or a spouse or a parent about a time when words damaged you deeply. I've told this story before about how when I was in middle school, my best friend started kind of as a joke, calling me Doughboy, because remember the Pillsborough Doughboy who would just be, his little tummy? I was a little pudgy in middle school. It was just innocent. It's just what seventh grade boys do, right? Deeply, deeply damaging. And he was a good friend. He wasn't trying to hurt my feelings. The power of words. Here's another example of how words can kill. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. See, words don't just destroy when they're spoken directly to you or by you to someone else. Words can be damaging when a third party is speaking. Someone says something about another person who's not present and those words change people's thoughts and opinions about that person. And this happens all the time with subtle little comments Some of us are experts at being passive aggressive. We've honed that skill over years, haven't we? It doesn't seem like we're being critical, but we're making a subtle point and we're doing damage. This happens in work offices, in schools, in neighborhoods, in dormitories, churches, in friend groups, in families, sports teams. A friend of mine recently told me about how his daughter went off to college on a track scholarship, and a few of the older girls on the track team who felt 
jealous and threatened by her, started talking trash and spreading rumors about her, and it nearly ruined her college experience. She nearly left school and gave up her scholarship just because of hurtful words. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, Proverbs says. See, when you speak in a thoughtless way, when you speak without really checking the facts, when you just flail your words around and speak without being careful, you end up slicing people open. I found a poem this week about this. A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate and still. A brutal word may smite and kill. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Again, this is from James. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. How much stronger language can you use? Your tongue can do more damage than you realize. I can't help but think of the kids hiking on that trail in the Columbia River Gorge a number of years ago. Just goofing off, just having fun, just being teenagers. One firework. Devastating destruction, friends. Millions of dollars of damage. People's livelihoods and lives altered forever. One little spark. James says, your tongue has that same power. And yet it's not all bad news. You're like, this is the most depressing sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> this is like my best fire and brimstone. Your tongue can also have positive impact. That same power can be used for good. Listen to the rest of this verse. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Friends, do you know that your words can heal? Your words can bind up wounds, spiritual wounds, emotional wounds. Your words can, can mend and repair and revive the damaged and destroyed things of our society. People's fears can be set at ease. Their frustrations can be soothed. Relationships can be mended. Trust can be restored. Confidence reestablished all by the words that you speak. Proverbs 10, 11, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Just think, think, think about that imagery. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Your words can restore and revive and refresh the souls of the people around you. Now, let me tell you where I think your words can have the most positive impact. This is something I share with, with couples in premarital counseling. So if you've had premarital counseling with me, you've probably heard this before. I'm looking around the room. Most of you have been married too long. That's okay. This is good for you too. When you speak life, when, when that fountain of life comes out of your mouth and you speak to two I words, two of the most powerful I words in the English language, people's identities and their insecurities. When you speak life into people's identities and their insecurities, your words will have tremendous healing 
impact. I mean, what, what mom doesn't just light up when her husband or children say, you are a great mother? Why do those words matter so much? Because every mom here has some identity woven into being a mom, right? The same is true for dads, by the way, right? You think about insecurities, think about where your spouse, your friend, your coworker is feeling insecure, and then you speak encouragement, affirmation into that place. Those words will pack a punch. We see this in the life of Jesus. He does this with Simon. Remember, he's sitting with the disciples. He says, you know, who do you say I am? And Simon says, you're the Christ. And then Jesus says, your name's not Simon anymore. You're Peter. You're a rock, Peter. You're a leader. Jesus is speaking into Peter's identity. He's giving him courage and affirmation to be who God longs for him to be. Part of the reason I believe Peter does go on to be such a bold leader, not a perfect leader, but a bold leader, is because he never forgets those words of Jesus. You're a rock. He does it with Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little guy up in the sycamore tree? Everyone hated him because he was a tax collector. He was an enemy of the state. Jesus comes along, engages him, and then says, this man is the son of Abraham, right? He's one of us. He's part of the people. He's loved. He's God's chosen. You know what he's doing? He's speaking affirmation right into the middle of Zacchaeus' insecurities. Let me ask you this, friends. Do you have a coworker? a kid, a spouse, a parent, a friend who needs you to speak affirmation into the identity, into their identity or their insecurity. Who needs you in this season to be a fountain of life with your words? The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Question two, what qualities should mark our words? How do we speak life into people? I want to point out three qualities that Proverbs says should mark our words. Here's the first one. We're called to use honest words. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. Now, when we look at this verse, it seems pretty obvious. And yet when you get into it, it goes a little deeper still. The word translated in our English language lies is actually probably better translated deceit or deception. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness spreads deception. In other words, according to scripture, the opposite of telling the truth is not telling lies. It's trying to paint a false picture of reality. It's not telling the whole truth. It's altering the truth, even just a touch. Listen to this definition of deception. An act or statement which, which misleads, hides the truth, or promotes a belief, concept, or idea that is not true. Deception is not just untruth, but also includes presenting only part of the truth. Now, sometimes what happens in our authenticity addicted, say whatever you feel at every moment society. That's the world we live in right now, right? If you feel it, express it. Just say it right now, unabashedly. That's our society. That's our world. But Proverbs actually 
speaks to this as well. Proverbs says, be honest, and yet, and here's that tension thing that Proverbs does, offers us some tension. The one, it says this in Proverbs 10, 18, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Proverbs is saying, yes, be honest. Be honest about your feelings. Don't just hold hatred or anger or bitterness or jealousy in your heart. Don't just pretend everything is okay when it isn't. A lot of Christian cultures adopt this. We're just going to always pretend like the sun is shining and we're so happy because I'm a Christian. And yet when you read the Bible, that's not really the calling. The Bible says, yes, use your words to express your emotions, especially to the Lord. Have you ever read the Psalms? Just read through the Psalms. Listen to some of the Psalms of David. He is so honest. He cries out to the Lord about some deep, dark stuff. I mean, he expresses some feelings and you're reading it going, I didn't think you were allowed to say that. And yet he says it to the Lord because he knows that the Lord wants him to be real and honest and authentic. But here's that tension thing. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Don't lie about your feelings. And whoever utters slander is a fool. Also be mindful of to whom and when and how you are expressing your feelings. Be mindful of it. You see, full transparency all the time with everyone is not the way of wisdom. It's just not. Here's a second quality. Proverbs calls us to use gentle words. We've talked about this before, and yet it is so important. Gentle words we might think of as kind of wimpy words. Like there's sometimes this idea that as Christians, we should always just sort of talk this way, kind, kind of sweet, the way Jesus always talked, right? You Pharisees, you're so mean. Quit, be, you know, quit belittling people. We should probably turn these tables over, right? Yeah, no. No. Listen to Proverbs 25, 15. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. The Proverbs is defining what gentle words are for us here. Gentle words aren't wimpy words. They're powerful words. Here's how Tim Keller describes this. I love this definition. He says, to break a bone means to break down the most hardened resistance to an idea a person may possess. Gentle speech should be pointed. Gentle speech can be argumentative. Gentle speech can be contradictory to the listener. A gentle word is bone-breakingly clear, yet in tone, in purpose, in voice, and in motivation, kind. Proverbs 51, 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, the writer of Proverbs here just gets real practical. He's saying, gentle words are better than harsh words. Why? Because they're more effective. They work better. How many of us can think of a time in the midst of an argument or a conversation when you were right and you knew it? You were correct. You were on the side of truth. And yet, in that moment, your words were more harsh than they were gentle. How'd that go for you? I did this just about a month ago. I sent an email 
just like this. I generally try to wait a day before sending these kind of emails. And yet in this moment, I just couldn't resist. You have this like, <laughs> I shouldn't do it. Yeah, I did it. Sent it. I mean, it, it was honest. I think it was truthful. I think I was right. Sending it felt really good. It was like, deal with this. Did it work? No. Because the person I sent it to felt so attacked that they missed the entire point of what I was trying to say. I end up apologizing for being right because in communicating, I was wrong. In other words, no bones got broken, no thoughts got shifted, no hearts got softened. My email was not persuasive because gentle words are always more effective than harsh words. Okay, quality three, thoughtful words, thoughtful words. This is Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. That word gushes is more accurately translated belches out. Burping in the Bible. That's what I'm talking about. I, like, where are the middle schoolers when I need them? Let's go, right? Like, it's this image that, like, the words just come gushing out of your mouth suddenly, uncontrollably. Like, you don't have control of the words that you're saying. And the idea here is that wisdom does not let this happen. Doesn't let words just come thoughtlessly flowing out of your mouth, especially, especially when there are strong emotions involved. And that's when it's hardest. Wisdom says, pause, think, pray, consider what you are saying before you speak. Think about the impact. Think about the consequences. A counselor friend of mine who is very wise says this, and I've been thinking about this a lot in this last season. Some of the most hurtful and regrettable statements ever come right after the phrase, and now I'm going to tell you what I really think. I'll say that again. Some of the most hurtful and regrettable statements ever come right after the phrase, and now I'm going to tell you what I really think. And here's why that's hard. Because, and now I'm going to tell you what I really think feels so good in the moment, doesn't it? It's like that third bowl of ice cream. That says something about me, doesn't it? It's like, I know I shouldn't do it, but I love mint chip. Like, Proverbs 13.3, just listen to these words. I won't even explain all these verses. They, they speak for themselves. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Just shut up and people will think you're smart. I mean, really, that's, that's what that says. It's wonderful wisdom. Proverbs calls us, friends, to have these kinds of words, honest words, gentle words, thoughtful words. And so the question is how? How do we begin to be people whose words are marked by these things? There's a deep connection all through the scriptures and specifically in Proverbs between our words and our hearts. See, what's really happening inside of you 
what you really think and believe and value and feel deep in your soul is connected to the words that you speak. Your words don't just come out of nowhere. They come out of the deepest parts of who you are. And so our words can often indicate to us what's happening in here. But how we change our words is not just by changing our words, it's by changing what's happening in here. Listen to, listen to the connections. Proverbs 10, 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. Do you see how the words and the heart are connected? The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of fools are not upright. The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. One whose heart is corrupt does not prosper. One whose tongue is perverse falls into trouble. This is the same thing that Jesus says, right? What does Jesus say? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's saying the same thing as the author of Proverbs, that your words in your heart are connected. And so changing your words requires a changing of your heart. You can go home today, you can be like, you know what? Pastor Dave's right. I listened to that sermon. It was so convicting. I'm going to start saying nice stuff. And you can just work at that. Like, I'm going to change my vocabulary. I'm not going to say that mean thing. I'm going to say a nice thing. I'm going to do this. And yet, friends, that will only last a little while because over time, your words will shift right back into reflecting your heart. If you want to change your words, you've got to change your heart. And this is why we're here. Because the only thing with the power to change your heart now and forever is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the message of the Bible is not try really, really hard to say the right things and then God will love you. No, it's understand deeply how much God loves you and then your heart will long to say the right things. Your transformed words don't earn God's love. God's love transforms your words. That's why we talk so much about God's love. Oh, another message about God's love? Yeah, because if you truly can understand the depth and the significance and the power of God's amazing grace and eternal love for you, it will transform every part of your life from the inside out, including your words. That's why when we gather, we, we share this meal that's why the Lord's Supper matters. It's not just a religious exercise. This meal we'll share in just a minute. It's not just something we do at church to kind of feel holy and spiritual and churchy. No, this is a moment where we can physically, in a very tangible way, say, I need that gospel reality, that gospel truth, that amazing grace and love of God deep in my heart and soul again. I need it to start to define me once more. I need it to change me again. I need it to help me become the person whose heart wants to speak words of life. That's why this meal matters. That's why when we gather, we share it regularly because we're reminded of the gospel, the fact that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins. The God of the universe hung on a cross and died because he loves you and me so much. That's how extravagant and overwhelming God's love is. And not only that, he went into that grave 
and got into a big old fight and defeated death on our behalf. The biggest bully on the cul-de-sac has been put down because Jesus went into the grave and kicked his butt. Can I say that in church? I just did it. You see, that's what we remember in this meal. We have been forgiven. God's love lavishly poured out on us and he has defeated our greatest enemy, death, to restore us into right relationship with him that we might be called daughters and sons of the most high God. See, that's the truth that changes our hearts and those changed hearts change words. So as we go to the tables this morning to get the elements, let me ask you to consider this question. Just as you're, as you're getting up and walking to grab the, the bread and the cup, just think about this. In what situation or relationship do my words need to change these days? In what situation or relationship do my words need to change these days? Just think about that person. You're thinking, you know what? We've got to have some different words for them. That situation that you're tempted to gripe about or complain about, but you need to just speak about it differently. One's coming to mind right now. I know it is. That's how the Holy Spirit works. But then take it deeper than that. Don't just think about the person or the situation. Now go a layer down. How in that situation, how in that relationship does my heart need to change? What am I believing deeply inside of me that's causing my words to not be right? And then as we come to this table, we say, God, how could you change me? How could your gospel change my heart for this person, for this situation? Do you need just to infuse some hope? Do you need to infuse some courage? Do you need to infuse some grace? Do you need to infuse some forgiveness? Do you need to help me think about this differently or feel about this? God, you just come in and change my heart. And you're big enough to do it. You're strong enough to do it. Your love is amazing enough to do it. So that's your assignment. Is it clear? We're going to take just a couple minutes. We'll stand together. We'll get the elements. Take them back to your seat. Hold on to them. We're going to receive... Um, the elements and take communion together. So you're dismissed to go to the tables.